When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. At JCPenney, fashion counts for everybody and everybody. The weather is getting warmer and it's time to swap my winter layers for fun, vibrant and cool clothing with so many fun things happening this spring like Mother's Day and the Wind Down Tour. It's hard to find great looking clothes that fit you just right. That's why I love JCPenney. JCPenney has so many stylish and comfortable options for so many different body types. I've been blown away by their selection and everything hugs my body in all the right spots. Refresh your wardrobe this spring with style that gets you. Something to wear that fits your favorite moments of the season at prices that feel just as good. Discover brands that get you and put style and comfort first, like Worthington and Liz Claiborne for her, each in women's petite and plus sizes. Here, spring comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. JCPenney, make everybody count. Welcome to Worst Year Ever, a production of iHeartRadio. And welcome back to the worst year ever. Ugh. Dang, we're still yeah. here. Keeps we're being still... the worst year ever. Never stops. It really, it really does, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. It's just Why would we ever want to of... leave? Why would we ever leave? How could yeah. we possibly leave? It's true. Please, we can't leave time. It let us know if if you know how we could possibly leave because we are pretty desperate at this point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With that, we have a really great interview for you guys today uh, with freelance journalist Eamon Then. Did I do it right? Eamon Then. Daniel, you got me. Uh, who Figure it out, is, Daniel. <laughs> uh, who is currently covering the military coup in Myanmar. And uh, we are very, very grateful that they took the time to speak with us because uh, it's a pretty dire situation. And, um, and, and it was a really informative conversation. You guys got stuff? It's about to happen. It's, it's about to happen. You, you can't stop it. Like the year, nothing can be done to stop mm-hmm. this from hitting your ears. It's inevitable. You do like not the changing of the tides. Have an option to press pause or stop. No, you're no, you're buckle no. up, baby. No. Whenever somebody pauses this podcast, we send out Cody with a brick to break their kneecaps. Mm-hmm. It hasn't worked yet, yeah. but I still go. No. I still go and try. No, he is he is not good at the job. Real um, bad, real bad, real um, bad. My heart's not in it, but no, it's not. Um, but don't make us fire Cody. Not during a pandemic. Please, no. So hand over your knees to Cody, or just keep listening to the podcast that's about to come. 
So today we are joined by Eamon Then, uh, Burmese American Pulitzer Prize winning freelance journalist uh, cur- currently covering the uh, military coup that started on February 1st in Myanmar. And up top, I um, just want to acknowledge uh, this is an incredibly dangerous time to be a journalist covering this. And we just really want to thank you for taking the time and, and check in to see how you're doing, because this is a lot that you've been been going through right now. Yeah, no, thank you for covering the story. Um, I know we got a lot of attention uh, in the first month or so of the coup. And now that things have kind of, I guess, plateaued in terms of action, uh, there's a lot less coverage Mm -hmm. on the issue. And so it's really great to see uh, platforms like this that are interested in making sure that this stays in the national conversation, uh, especially in countries like the US where, you know, a big difference can be made. Yeah. Depending on policy uh, decisions. Yeah. be able to give us kind of an overview um, of of how things have gone, right? Like, here's how 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 it started. Here's when yeah. the violence escalated. Here's where we are now. Just to kind of start us off. Yeah, yeah. So basically, uh, this coup started on February first, and you know, I say it started because uh, to me, this coup is something that hasn't been successful yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, the military arrested uh, a number of elected leaders on the day that the new government was supposed to form. And, you know, they attempted to essentially take over uh, all government functions Mm -hmm. and to be in charge of the country. But, you know, given that there's been mass protests throughout the streets uh, every single day, essentially since the beginning of February, um, there is a civil disobedience movement that has essentially stopped the banking system in the country and, you know, doctors, teachers, uh, Mm -hmm. anyone who has... uh, uh, been working with the government or through uh, the government as an employee uh, have largely stopped working. You know, they haven't been able to be the government. They haven't been able to exert control except through uh, the end of a gun and sort of through terror. Um, yeah, so, you know, they uh, arrested over 150 elected uh, politicians on that first day, essentially preventing the new government from forming. And began arresting uh, activists, uh, union leaders, uh, people who would pose a threat, uh, who could bring uh, the public together in any sort of organized way. Uh, and yet, you know, you had millions of people who have uh, been out in the streets protesting, even as the military began to kill people, uh, essentially in cold blood. There's been over 700 people who ha- are now confirmed uh, to have been killed by the military uh, or police um, since the beginning of the coup. Uh, by uh, local rights groups. Uh, Thousands of people have been jailed. Uh, A number of them have been released, but there are hundreds who have essentially just been disappeared. Um, You know, their families don't know where they are, but the military and the police also will not admit that they have been taken. And so those people are the ones uh, people are the most worried about because those are the sorts of people who come back uh, as mutilated bodies, essentially. Um, You know, you have politicians, in hiding, activists in hiding, journalists who have either left the country or are in hiding. Um, And, you know, on the other side of the resistance to the coup, you know, very early on, there was a leaderless mass movement that sprung up, largely led by civil uh, servants, such as doctors and teachers, but also, you know, people you would normally not think of as leaders in society, like railway workers uh, and garment industry workers. Uh, people who are heavily unionized and really organized and who, you know, have been fighting for their rights and freedoms for a long time. Uh, 
you know, even as the movement right now is very focused on returning to a civilian government and restoring people who rightfully won uh, the 2020 election, um, you know, people do also really understand that in the last 10 years of <clears throat> largely civilian quasi-democratic rule that a lot of people, especially the poor, especially ethnic and religious minorities were uh, not treated uh, as mm. full citizens of the country who had equal rights. Um, and now we've moved into a phase where there's essentially two uh, <clears throat> opposing groups uh, claiming to be the government of Myanmar. There is the national unity government and all of their allies. Um, there's a lot of acronyms. I'm not going to go into that right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, they're called the NUG. Um, we like to call ourselves Nuggets. Okay. Uh, <laughs> okay. I like it. And not all of them are um, were elected. Many of them were appointed. Many of them were early protest leaders uh, who you know, are in their late 20s, uh, 30s, people who would never have made it into government uh, in the previous times. Um, and they are now, you know, trying to get international recognition. Um, and this is the national unity government. Yeah, yeah. So now they're trying to set up um, essentially a functional government, a an alternative system for people to answer to and work with who are not uh, the military. And so right now, the power struggle is really between these two groups, um, one of whom is made up of elected officials as well as leaders who have emerged through the mm -hmm. anti-coup movement uh, and then the military, uh, which, you know, not only are they a very oppressive and brutal institution, um, there's also quite a number of people who are part of the military who were essentially recruited as child soldiers. Um, rights groups yeah. estimate that anywhere between 30 and 60% of recruits were uh, forced mm -hmm. into the military. Wow. And when it comes to actual like territorial control within these two groups, how does that kind of break down? Like, is it a, a is it a situation where you've got like regime controlled territory and not uh, or is it just kind of much more muddled and mixed? So it's very complicated. Uh, yeah. in Myanmar. <laughs> so Myanmar has essentially been in a civil war for 60, almost 70 years now. Um between the largely uh, Bama ethnic majority group, uh, controlled military, and a number of um, political organizations that often have armed wings uh, in minority areas or minority majority areas, which are tend to be around the borders of the country. So there are currently what are called being called free zones, which is areas being controlled by ethnic armed organizations. These are in allyship with the national unity government, but they're not under the control of the national unity mm -hmm. government. Um, and the majority of ethnic armed organizations in Myanmar, and there's dozens, uh, have essentially declared that they will protect protesters regardless of mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. you know, their political affiliation. It's more about smart. protecting civilians as opposed to aligning yeah. themselves with the government. very smart. Yeah. Welcome to the worst year ever. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats 
even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash news. That's lifelock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Everything is so dumb, 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 dumb. Talk a little bit about... uh, You've you've mentioned it's pseudo-democracy, and it's been a relatively new... Uh, institution there. And so can we talk a little bit about um, that power struggle, that power share that led us to this? Because I think we also need to talk about Aung San Suu Kyi, of course, and and um, just it, it's complicated. It's a complicated situation you've got going on over yeah, there. Yeah, because I, I can, I mean, I, I'm nothing, I don't have a particularly deep base of knowledge here, but I remember hearing earlier a lot of allegations that she was... Um, kind of being used as a puppet by the military for a lot Mm -hmm. of the stuff that was happening with the Rohingya. And so that's very unclear as we are over here trying to unpack everything that's happening there, because, of course, she was sold to us as a a democratic leader that we should get behind and an inspiration. And then very quickly, it turned out that this huge humanitarian crisis was happening under her watch. Anyway, (laughs) you're the expert. (laughs) Well, I think what happened with Aung San Suu Kyi and the sort of like very divided view of her, because she's still seen as this, for, for a lot of people in Myanmar, mm-hmm. not everyone, seen as this, you know, perfect icon uh, and faultless leader uh, in Myanmar. Whereas in the West, because she was sold as this perfect icon, right? Like any mistake or like genuine awful thing she did, and she did awful things, um, was seen as like, oh, we, like she, we were lied to, we were tricked. Mm-hmm. Um, where, you know, she's a complicated person with imperfect politics. Um, mm-hmm. She's always been extremely Buddhist, uh, quite nationalist. It makes sense, you know, that considering her father fought against colonialism, right? Mm-hmm. Colonialism breeds a lot of nationalism into people. Uh, and so she's always been someone who has been quite open about the fact that she thinks Myanmar is first and foremost uh, a Buddhist uh, Burma nation, uh, where everyone else is kind of guests who should behave appropriately um and so and the the country is you know quite majority buddhist and Burma. 
So, you know, I think what has been happening with the, the sort of transition into democracy for Myanmar is we had colonialism and then that really created the country as we know it today. You know, the, it, it drew the borders of the country and brought together a bunch of various con- uh, kingdoms and like essentially hill tribes and people who had various forms of government and put them all and smashed them into one nation of people who never existed as a political entity uh, together before. And basically immediately after independence, people began declaring internal independence from the new country that had been formed. Um, And then through a series of coups uh, and sort of military takeovers, the country essentially became a totalitarian state, really second only to North Korea for decades. Uh, And then in 2010, the country began to transition into a democratic, into more of a democratic form. So uh, we had elections uh, where Everyone was allowed to run, essentially, who wasn't in jail. And there were thousands of people in jail uh, as political prisoners. But, you know, if you weren't in jail, you were allowed to run. And uh, many people boycotted it because the Constitution wasn't great. Uh, It guaranteed uh, the military 25 seats to military officials and then also allowed military parties and military affiliated parties to run. And so in 2010, we began to have a more democratic... um, country uh, and government, but it was still essentially run by the military, but with uh, reform-minded generals. And so we began to see uh, more press freedom. We, we saw censorship end, or official censorship, pre-publication censorship end. Uh, we saw the release of quite a number of political prisoners. Uh, we saw um, liberalization of the economy and the allowance of essentially the state monopolies to end uh, and allow um, other sorts of businesses uh, to begin uh, to, to establish themselves. And then in 2015, um, all of these parties that had boycotted the 2010 election decided, you know, the constitution isn't perfect. There's a lot we need to change, but we can't do that completely from the outside. So we're going to run. Uh, and after that election, we ended up with a government where the military controlled basically every gun in the country. They controlled the armed forces, the police uh, and the border guard as well as um, a lot of the sort of day-to-day administration. Um, So like, think your local uh, district office, um, that would be controlled by the military, but the majority of the rest of the government was controlled by uh, elected civilians. Uh, In this case, it ended up being Aung San Suu Kyi's party. And so, yeah, there was this very uneasy power sharing. um, And when the Rohingya crisis happened, I think the people of Myanmar really felt that they were being unfairly blamed for something that the military did. Mm-hmm. And it caused this like intense uh, defensiveness mm-hmm. that didn't allow them to have the conversation of, okay, well, why are we not fighting for the Rohingya? You know, why are we okay with this group being victimized? You know, what does it mean that some group can be victimized in the country? What does this mean on a more systematic institutional level beyond the sort of like, basic decency of like no one deserves to be subject to genocide um but yeah I think that's in a nutshell kind of what was happening here yeah that sounds like a there's like a rapid expansion in a short period of time for you guys culturally economically and everything when when things started to shift and it feels like this 
this crux in time probably feels very different approaching this protest movement, approaching organizing. Um, have you – yeah, I would just love to have a comparison between this time and in the past when there has been a lot of large organized movements against uh, the military. Yeah, so there's been a few mass uprisings. Uh, there's This is also the third coup for Myanmar. Yeah. Uh, and you know, I think what has made this time really different is – <clears throat> there's internal factors. So the, the main one would be that now people are fighting to keep something. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Whereas in, um, so after the first coup, you essentially went from, uh, you know, British colonial masters to like a very chaotic quasi military government uh, into, you know, fairly, a, still a military government, but it wasn't that bad in the sixties. And mm-hmm. so, it wasn't that jarring of a transition, but by the time the 1988 um, elections happened and the uprising happened, people had been under dictatorship for decades, right? Mm-hmm. And so it was much more difficult for people to imagine something that they were trying to build as opposed to just saying, we don't like what's currently happening. Um, and with the protest movement now, what we're really seeing is people saying, mm-hmm. you know, what we had was imperfect, but we need to get back there so we can go somewhere even better. And I think that's the really big difference and the key difference we're seeing uh, internally and then externally. I think, you know, the international response has not been ideal, but it's the international community has also learned from past mistakes. Uh, They haven't imposed the sort of blanket sanctions that we saw in the past that really didn't harm the military, right? There's right now quite a lot of focus on targeting specific organizations and individuals. Um, and, you know, if we could see more unity on that, if we could see countries stop selling arms to Myanmar, yeah. uh, if we could see sort of the release of Myanmar state in, uh, assets to the uh, new civilian government, you know, these are all things that could really make a difference in the long run of this movement. Yeah, you had mentioned that to me separately and wanted to to bring that up. So this feels like a great time, you know, specifically in terms of the, the U.S. sanctions. Um, yeah. So, you know, in the very first few days of the coup, um, the U.S., I think Department of Treasury, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, essentially froze um, all Myanmar assets that were in, in the U.S. That's or under U.S. control. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's amounts about a billion dollars. Um because you know, even though there wasn't sort of a set policy yet from the Biden administration, um, you know, they want to make sure that they essentially try to withdraw a million dollars, a billion dollars. Uh, and so now that money is frozen, um, but now that we do have a civilian government uh, made up of elected officials who have a mandate from the people, who have been able to uh, get agreements uh, and cooperation from ethnic armed organizations, they're going to start needing money. You know, civil servants have been uh, striking for almost three months. These are not people who are well paid. Most of them live in government housing. Um, and many of them have either been terminated from their jobs or have been forced out of their housing. And so the unity government is now trying to uh, pay all of these civil servants. They're trying to ensure that uh, there aren't food shortages in Myanmar. There, people are already starting to suffer from that. And really to make sure that people can continue to oppose the the military without essentially starving themselves. To death. Yeah. Without feeling like they have 
the choice to die or comply. Oh yeah, and that's one of these one of the main problems we get to when it comes to when the US does take action about human rights abuses, often our go-to is some form of sanctions. Mm-hmm. And they generally just wind up hurting the people who live in that country rather than the people who are committing whatever human rights abuse inspired the uh the action. And I I I think it's good to like freeze assets that that makes sense. And I I've heard suggestions of like, you know, releasing them to the um the 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 I think we would consider the legitimate government. Um, but I don't know, like, what what else can be done? Like, because I, I, it, it, it seems, and maybe I have a, 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 an accurate view of this because of my distance, but it seems like the deck is stacked pretty heavily in the military's favor at the moment. Um, and I don't, like, what is, it that, what is it you think would need to happen in order to change the situation in a positive way? Yeah, so... I think you're right in that the deck is heavily stacked in the military's favor, but they got the guns. Yeah. Yeah. They got the guns. Well, they have like bombs. Uh, yeah, and- yeah. I, I actually have a whole other question about the military. It's a, we'll get to, but they have a, a whole separate ecosystem almost over yeah. there, like their own, but we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. Uh, but yeah, you know, I think a sign of hope, uh, and a place to look if you want some optimism is just the fact that despite them having, you know, fighter jets and guns and just so much information about people, um, because, you know, as an authoritarian country, you know, it just collects lots and lots of data about other people who live there. Um, they've not been able to win. You know, they haven't, they can't get the banks to open. They can't get doctors to go back to work. They recently, like yesterday, called in the parents of civil servants to get them to pressure their children. Oh to- my God. <laughs> like they, they got like, called to the principal's they called, office. They told on the parents of the protesters, <laughs> you know, like they are really struggling. Um, mm. Even as they're, you know, killing people and terrorizing people, like people are really refusing to be capped essentially. Um, sorry, I've forgotten the question. No, that's that's how it goes here. Yeah, I'm, I'm just kind of wondering. Yeah, I think the question we're trying to answer is like, what do you think? What? How? How could you see things ending in a positive direction? Like, mm. what would have to happen? And I guess part of why I'm asking that question is I'm trying to wonder what the international community can do outside of you know freezing arms sales uh, to to the military would be one one thing. Although I don't know how likely that is given the 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 geopolitical situation um, and kind of you know, releasing that money to the legitimate government is another option. But like, is there, is there anything else? What do you think would need to happen for things to resolve in a more positive direction? Like what's it going to take? Um, if that's a, I mean, that may be a question without a clear answer at the moment. Yeah. Um, so I think there's a few things that can be done uh, by various actors. Um, I think if we're talking about the U S side, um, you know, as we we're saying earlier, yeah, uh, using those funds um, and pressuring other countries, allied nations to mm-hmm. recognize the, the national unity government as the legitimate, legitimate government of Myanmar and to, to treat them as such. Right. So if ASEAN, the association of Southeast Asian nations is going to have a meeting about Myanmar, like they, they should be invited. They should be the first invite. Um, if, you know, uh, countries like Singapore and Japan and South Korea, which are heavily invested in Myanmar, they're some of the biggest investors in Myanmar, are going to continue to 
um, you know, invest money, whether that's in development or in, you know, sort of private business, they need to ensure that they're working with the, the civilian government and not the military. Mm-hmm. Um, and these are things that kind of can happen from the U.S. end, uh, which is obviously a bit more difficult in that this is one of the very few struggles in the world where U.S. imperialism is not implicated really in any way. Uh, and, you know, the Myanmar military does not care what the West thinks of it. Uh, it does not care about the West's money. They've, you know, survived for decades and decades without it. Um, and yeah, like the sanctions can often really harm uh, sort of people who, like normal everyday people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think something that the U.S. has done quite well in this case is to make it very clear that no military intervention is coming. Uh, I know that's something that many people on the ground have been hoping for uh, because they see things like uh, what's been happening in, you know, Middle Eastern countries and say like, mm-hmm. well, it's possible there. Why isn't it possible here? Um, and the U S being very clear in that the language where they talk about it um, as, and like sanctioning very specific industries. So mining and logging uh, and these sort of like, you know, Industries that are already extremely exploitative to the people who work in it, mm-hmm. and then pretty much only like mess up the earth and uh, benefit uh, those at the very top. So like jade, um, yeah. And then I think on the sort of broader international level, um, yeah, just like refusing to engage with the military besides uh, trying to get them to uh, hand over power, uh, as opposed to what ASEAN did, which was really just like a weird welcome party uh, to the military leader uh, where they told him like, everyone needs to stop the violence uh, and really (laughs) doing this like very wishy-washy sort of language, uh, which was then used by the military uh, in Myanmar in sort of these now like uh, military run uh, propaganda outlets as like, you know, the world has welcomed uh, this new government as a stabilizing force in the region. I uh, I know I mentioned this in passing a minute ago, but I I would like to to hear a little bit. Gosh, I've got so many things I want to hear about. But uh, from what I understand, yes, the military is almost separate from uh, everybody else. The average citizen, you know, they have their own schools and own hospitals, uh, you know, banks. Uh, are those things being affected? by the strike. And I'm also just, I'm just curious about it because I guess that has to play a huge part in how the military can be so desensitized to orders of killing citizens. I mean, children, babies, there's just, we don't need to go into all the horrifying specifics, but this is a a horrifying story that's happening right now. Um, and and I'm just trying to wrap my mind around it all, you know? Yeah, it's been very difficult to get into the psychology of uh, people who are in the security forces, whether that is military or police. Um, we're definitely seeing a lot more police defections. And I think it yeah. goes to what you were saying of, you know, most police officers are not sort of born and raised into this very separate mm. sort of internal society, right? These are usually just like people who, for whom this is like one of the few decent paying jobs with uh, the potential for a pension in the future. Uh, And so you have a lot of those people kind of running away. 
uh, into India, into uh, the free zones, into uh, Thailand and such. Um, but yeah, it's been very, very difficult to understand uh, the mindsets of the soldiers and, and really what they're being told. Um, so there was a lot of rumors in Myanmar and based on the testimony of recently defected soldiers, it seems very likely that the internet, the like mobile data internet cuts were more targeted towards keeping soldiers from knowing what was happening than oh. from the civilian organizing themselves. I mean, you know, they obviously also don't want the civilian uh, population organizing themselves, but you know, the fact that soldiers are telling us they're not allowed to read uh, non-military papers, they're not allowed to watch news. Wow. It's the military run channels. They can't listen to other types of radio. Um, and, you know, many of them were taken when they were 12, 13. They were raised in an environment where like brutality meant not only did you survive and avoid violence yourself, but you could be, you know, greatly rewarded. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, you're in this like extremely homosocial environment where not only are you being taught to be brutal, you're being told that that is how you're protecting the country and defending Buddhism and defending mm -hmm. this idea of, of uh, what it means to be Myanmar. And, you know, I think in part why we're seeing this sort of violence right now is because some, many of these soldiers feel betrayed. You know, they've been at war for decades. They've been out in the forest getting malaria. And now you have all these ungrateful civilians who like don't understand their struggles, uh, who are forcing them to essentially like, you know, work all day, every day, uh, often with very little food. We see soldiers stealing food all the time. Like, we see them stealing snacks. Like they're hungry, they're very poorly paid uh, at the sort of infantry level. Um, and they're overworked. And like, that's part of the goal. Like they're trying to make these usually young boys like much more aggressive than they would otherwise be uh, and see the people as their enemy. Yeah. Welcome to the worst year ever. We'll get through it together or not. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. With AT&T in-car Wi-Fi, elevate your adventure by transforming your vehicle into a reliable Wi-Fi hotspot. Connect up to 10 devices up to 50 feet away from your vehicle, making it ideal for camping and road trips. Don't miss out on the fun. Embark on your next adventure today. Visit att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi to check if you're eligible for a free trial. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a golf course. 70 courses. Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach How about a garden tour? Apple Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at sandiego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Everything is so dumb, 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 dumb. You talked a lot about, um, you know, 
the civil disobedience protest movement. And I'm I'm curious what the mood on the ground is like. I guess this kind of goes along with Robert's line of questioning. Do people do people feel galvanized by the fact that you have been doing this protest movement in such a sustained fashion. I mean, I find it very inspiring. I, I mean, it sounds overwhelming and like an uphill battle, but, you know, a general strike is something that is talked about a lot and very rarely executed. Um, and there has to be some sort of power in that. So I am curious what the mood is. But but also, con- conversely, people are being slaughtered. So, you know, it's a lot. Yeah, um, I mean, there's there's a lot of terror uh, that's on the ground. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously engineered to be so. Like there have been cases where uh, the police would come and try to arrest a, a politician or you know a, a member of a political party, and he won't be home because you know he's understands the situation and is in hiding, and they will take his children. Like the youngest person who's yeah. been arrested is two, and they were arrested because they couldn't find her father. Um, and so there is a lot of that happening, but at the same time, there's also just this like really defiant joy uh, that's mm-hmm. been very intentionally cultivated. You know, like you go, you look at protests and like all the protests are themed, right? Like there are people trying to have fun, trying to be creative. Um, there was a condom protest where they put <laughs> uh, condoms and stuck pictures of people who shouldn't have been born. In the- <laughs> <laughs> that's really good. That's a good idea. When they started using sound grenades uh, in the cities, uh, you know, after the, the kind of noise would end, uh, people would yell out Happy New Year. Uh, mm-hmm. When they were using water cannons, people started playing uh, New- uh, Burmese New Year's music because um, our New Year's is a water festival and people would just start dancing in the water mm-hmm. cannon. Um, and some people fall over because, you know, it's a water cannon, but, you know, just people really trying to make sure that there's joy to be had um, and that this isn't sort of something like awful and miserable uh, that we all have to kind of just like hunker down and get through. That you're fighting yeah. for something. Joy yeah. is incredibly and- important when you're trying to get people to to endure violence for an extended period of yeah. time. That That makes total sense. We're also seeing a lot of sort of community support uh, mm. that works propping up. Like essentially people are doing anarchy, uh, although they're <laughs> barely calling it that. Um, so like you go, if you go to markets, there's quite a number of stalls now that say, uh, take if you need it, give if you like don't. And so like, it's they're like on- It's really beautiful. There's no one at the stalls. Like you can just go and like take all the food if you wanted to. Um, but you see just like a pile of cash and then some people just, you know, they can't pay, they can't afford it. Um, you know, people are like, everyone is involved. There's like marketing agencies that are paying for lawyers fees for journalists. Um, wow. There are uh, bankers who are secretly funding, um, you know, transportation for protesters. Like it's really this huge cross section of Myanmar society. And, you know, it's one of the, it's one of those struggles where, like, the military, like, legitimately has, like, no popular base, right? Like, it's not like a Thailand situation yeah. where there are legitimately people who are on both sides uh, and, you know, are in sort of contention with one another. Yeah. Um, I had something else I wanted to ask, and now it's out of my head. I mean, 
I'm curious, do you see within kind of the tactics used by the protest movement, what do you see as like the main um, influences um, from from overseas on kind of how people have, have organized and carried things out? Yeah, so you see a lot of influences from um, Hong Kong and Thailand. Um, yeah. You know, Myanmar is now officially part of the Milk Tea Alliance. Uh, we have a Twitter icon um, that combines all, all three of these countries. Um, and, you know, a lot of the sort of protest safety tactics uh, and digital security, especially uh, tactics, were really brought wholesale uh, from uh, Thailand and Hong Kong uh, to the point where activists in those countries were translating their resources into Burmese and disseminating them uh, through their, their networks in Myanmar. Um, you saw influences from the Black Lives Matter movement, um, although I would say that it was a very sort of shallow sort of engagement with Black Lives Matter. Uh, it was very confusing, but sure. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, it's just sort of like a lot of uh, international memeing of memes. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's mostly um, the, the conversations mostly happening with other uh, Asian countries mm-hmm. that are facing authoritarianism. Mm-hmm. I'm curious. Um... But the end goal would be, um, you know, for the resistance, would this be to reinstate Aung San Suu Kyi or, you know, is, is, is that the goal here? So the goal has been changing. Um, yeah. As you, it does. Yeah, it does. Uh, if you sort of were listening to protest chants and looking at signs in the earlier days of the protests, it was almost entirely focused on freeing Aung San Suu Kyi. Uh, and getting the getting democracy back, by which they mean like just you know, like control Z the coup, just let the government form, and like we'll just kind of forget about everything. Yeah. Um, but now you know they the civilian government has abolished the 2008 constitution. Oh, really? Formed, yeah. So they formed committees to uh, create a new constitution in consultation with stakeholders from across. Okay. Uh, sectors of society. Um, for some reason, the new government has a prime minister, a president, and a state councillor. It's very confusing. I don't understand why. Okay. Uh, but yeah. Yeah. Has well, early, an early draft of uh, the United States Constitution, I do believe, had us having three presidents. So there's well, that. Should, okay. should have stuck with <laughs> that. Should have stuck with that. <laughs> yeah, we have two vice presidents. Um, but yeah, that's... But Alzheimer's has been appoint- reappointed as state counselor. So, okay. you know, there is a, there's quite a number of people who would like to continue to see her in that position. Um, and I think it's also really important to remember, even as, especially for those of us who are very critical of the level of democracy that is in Myanmar, mm-hmm. uh, as well as uh, Alzheimer's and her party, uh, that they did win the election by huge yeah. Like they won eighty percent of the vote. She's extremely um, popular, right? Like I can be as critical of her as I want, but she is the legitimate leader yeah. of that the people chose. Uh, and, and it what is, is like that? What is she? Is she still on house arrest, or is she? And like, what are the charges? What is the case against her that they're trying to to make? So she's still under house arrest, as far as I know. Um, her trial is ongoing, but it has been postponed because she also doesn't have internet connection. 
uh, <laughs> we're still dealing with COVID. So I, that was going to be my next question. Yeah. yeah. So she's theoretically under house arrest. Uh, her do- lawyers have been able, who have been able to see her occasionally say that she looks to be in good health. Um, they're not allowed to really talk about anything that isn't uh, the many cases that are against her. So uh, there's a number of charges that have been levied against her. I think currently there are four. She was first arrested uh, because she had illegally imported walkie-talkies into the country. Okay. Um, you okay. know, it was done because supposedly there was election fraud, but they got her for. Ah. Uh, yeah, you do all your election fraud via walkie-talkie. Yeah, so the walkie-talkies in question were in use by her security detail, which are appointed by the military. Okay. So <laughs> that's an interesting charge. Uh, the second charge she was levied with was uh, violating COVID restrictions uh, by uh, essentially creating situations in which uh, people would gather, which is kind of true. Like anytime she goes in like public. Like a campaign? No, it's just like if she goes outside, people gather. Like they, people love okay. her. Like people yeah. love her. Um, but yeah, like she had like, you know, she would like go to her, her home district and be like, I'm running again. And like thousands of people would just show right. up, um, which like, you know, she shouldn't have done. But, you know, um, everyone was also doing it. Uh, like you could arrest everyone for that. I mean, around the world, politicians are going out and people are gathering. So, OK, but anyway. Uh, yeah. The third charge is the most serious charge. Uh she has been charged uh, under the Official Secrets Act. Um, and she's essentially being accused of having information that could be helpful to enemies of Myanmar, which, as, you know, as, as the head of government, one you, would you, have. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's kind of hard to be president without getting some of that. <laughs> yeah, well, she's above yeah. the president, actually. She's the yeah. highest official yeah. in the government. Um, and then the fourth charge, I think, is another COVID-related uh, charge. So very clearly, it starts with the walkie-talkie, and then they're just, like, searching for other reasons to keep her. We detained. haven't gotten to the election fraud yet. Like, everyone's <laughs> wondering when that will happen. Mm. That was the justification for the coup. Yeah, we're still waiting for proof on our election fraud, too. Yeah, it was like, what, 40 court cases? <laughs> yeah. Um, and you mentioned COVID, uh, which is, of course, still a thing. And I know very little. I, I know nothing. I know nothing about the COVID situation over there. And uh, what is it? <laughs> yeah, so uh, Myanmar was doing okay uh not economically like oh covid devastated the country yeah um, the government weren't willing to uh, have very harsh lockdowns or they weren't willing to enforce their lockdown on paper myanmar had one of the strictest lockdowns in the world mm. uh but if you just kind of didn't care <laughs> you could just do whatever you want like people were clubbing uh and you know like no one, like many people didn't care uh but for the most part, we were testing about pretty high, like 20,000 tests were being done every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the positivity rate was well under 5% for a good chunk of that time. Uh, and we were getting vaccines. You know, we had, um, I think the AstraZeneca vaccine, like just a, a, a decent amount of promise from India. Uh, and mm. on paper, we're currently one of the most vaccinated countries by percentage in Southeast Asia. Uh, over a million people. Uh, Southeast Asia is doing really poorly, so it's not a good comparison. 
Um, but uh, supposedly over a million people have now been vaccinated. It's unclear who those people are since no one's going to, like, doctors aren't yeah. working. Uh, at government facilities uh and you know it's hard to imagine like random civilians just rolling up to a military hospital being like yeah. yo i want a vaccine and i bet uh, it's hard to trust that data yeah it's it's very difficult to trust the data uh and you know testing is essentially non-existent now uh there's about a thousand uh tests being done every day uh and the majority of those are people trying to leave the country mm. uh, due to airline requirements and mm-hmm. whatever and a pretty high percentage of those people uh, are testing positive. Yeah. Right? Like these are people who, they're usually foreigners, so they're not going out to protest because, like, they would get extra. Yeah, it would just feel awful for them to be protesting. Like, it's illegal. Um, I mean, I guess it's all illegal, but, you know, it's like, if you're hyper-visible, you maybe don't want to do illegal. Yeah. Um, and they're usually, like, wealthy enough to be able to fly out during this time because uh, flights are really expensive right now. So, like, in a population of people who are probably just sitting at home uh, and, like, don't have to go in anywhere to work anyway, the fact that they're testing positive, I think, means that it's quite likely the pandemic is really just raging. Uh, but, you know, we don't have data. We don't know. And you've got a lot of things going on to keep track of. I mean, yeah. Well, and also here, like- Black Lives Matter that's a good mm-hmm. reason for people to come outside and to protest, you know, and you guys have. Yeah. Well, and I think in the U.S. situation, like hospitals still existed, you know, like, I mean, there was a lot of concern about Black Lives Matter, like potentially sparking, like being super spreader events. Right. Like, Which they weren't. Hospitals. Yeah, they weren't. But, you know, like, even if they became that, it might have been handleable. Whereas here, like the health infrastructure is gone, essentially, like people who have like, you know, fairly routine things like diabetes are really struggling right now. Um, I'm just kind of curious as somebody who's paying such uh, close attention to this and and doing all this reporting, if there's uh, if there are outlets that um, you think are particularly Mm. good about this or particularly bad, you know, there's uh, especially cases like this uh, perspectives can uh, seep into reporting and mm. i didn't know if there was any uh anything on that yeah like what are the best outlets to follow yeah so uh if anyone has any extra money they want to throw at this mm-hmm. uh myanmar now and frontier myanmar are really great uh local news organizations they publish in both burmese and english uh you know i mean the news industry is, has no money uh, and like right now, not only are they dealing with uh, reporting under these very strenuous circumstances, many of them are trying to flee uh, or like hide out. Um, and also uh, the police keep smashing <laughs> our equipment. So yeah. people need to get new laptops. Uh, um, yeah. So Myanmar Now and Frontier Myanmar, really great award-winning great. organizations, uh, locally run, uh, multilingual. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of organizations are doing a pretty decent job, uh, especially if they've been operating in Asia or in country for a long time. Um, Like I wrote an article kind of blasting CNN for uh, their little parachute journalism trip. But CNN Asia has actually done a really good job covering Myanmar. Um, Great. You know, Um, like, yeah, it really depends. And then I guess, you know, we've talked about things the U.S. could theoretically do, 
the example they could set. But as individuals, do you have any organizations um, that we could do- know of that we could donate to that would go, you know, directly to the right places? Yeah. So there's a number of uh, essentially GoFundMe's. Um, okay. You just pressure GoFundMe to release the funds. Uh, GoFundMe. I mean, they're trying to do their due diligence. There's like a billion. Okay. Or like, you know, just hundreds of millions. Like they, they were not meant to fundraise for government. Sure. Um, but, you know. But, you know, in these unprecedented pressure, times. Yeah, pressure me to like move a little faster in their due diligence work. You, you can donate to those. Um, we'll definitely link to, to all of those uh, resources so that people can do something here. Uh, and, man, thank you so much, A, thank for you coming very here. Much. This was really informative and terrifying but also inspiring i'm um definitely going to be following this really closely and if you ever want to come back please just let us know yeah no thank you for covering the story and uh let our listeners know where they can find you online uh i'm mostly just on twitter uh since february 1st (laughs) i've not really been that online the person uh but you can find me at uh the underscore amen that so just the underscore my full name We'll definitely have you linked as well. Um, yeah, thank you. Thank you again. And uh, stay safe. Worst Year Ever is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah! And some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love that! A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in! Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it! Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Get in zone, AutoZone. Welcome to AutoZone. What are you working on today? My check engine light's on. Mm, that could hurt your gas mileage. The AutoZone free fix finder service can help find the fix for free. Get in zone. This whole report for free? That's right. Printed and on your phone for free. Get in zone. But what if the fix is too tough? We'll recommend a local shop. Fix finder, only at AutoZone. Get in zone, AutoZone. Restrictions apply.